Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. This episode is the episode that every woman needs to hear. It has information that every single woman needs to know. If you are interested in women's health at all, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Jolene Brighton. She is a force in women's health specifically, but also just in general in functional medicine. She is a functional medicine naturopathic medical doctor and the founder of Rubus Health, which is a women's medicine clinic that specializes in women's hormones. She's recognized as the leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. And that's what her new book, Beyond the Pill, is all about. I think this book should be required reading for every woman. It's called, again, Beyond the Pill, a 30-day program to balance your hormones, reclaim your body, and reverse the dangerous side effects of the birth control pill. This book literally gives you Dr. Brighton's proven 30-day program designed to heal hormonal imbalances that are at the root of a lot of the negative symptoms women experience every single day, and it addresses all the different health risks of oral contraceptives and their connection to hormone dysfunction. Balancing hormones is such a hot topic in the health space, and birth control in general is a really hot topic as more and more people are becoming more aware of the negative health effects of hormonal birth control, and a lot of women are realizing that all those symptoms that they thought were just normal part of being a woman aren't so normal and it might be their oral contraceptive. So I was really excited to get Dr. Brighton on the podcast because again, she is a leading expert in this field and this book I'm obsessed with. I know I've, you probably heard me mention it so many times, but I really, really want every woman to get her hands on it. And because of that, I'm going to do a giveaway with this podcast episode. So one person is going to win a copy of Beyond the Pill. And all you have to do to enter is share the podcast episode on social media and tag me at Christina Rice Wellness and tag Dr. Jolene Brighton at Dr. Jolene Brighton. That will be in the show notes as well. Just tag us. It can be in your stories or on your feed but I just want to get the word out about this information and somebody who shares the podcast is going to get this book. And again, make sure you tag me. Don't just mention me in the comments because I won't be able to go back and see it. So if it's a post on your feed, make sure I am tagged. And this giveaway is going to run until next Thursday, March 7th, 2019, just so you know. Dr. Brighton in general is such an inspiring woman and like I mentioned she is just a force in women's health and really talks a lot about how we can make this a movement and together 
make our voice heard as as women because we've just been disregarded a lot in the medical field. Women do not get the same attention that a lot of men get. Studies are biased against us. A lot of doctors shrug aside our symptoms and we need to start being loud together. There are a lot of ways to be a part of the movement and one of the ways I found really empowering was to make this part of my career. So as a lot of you know, I started off as a primal health coach and then I became a nutritional therapy practitioner, but health coaching is really what launched me into this field and made me really feel like I was making a positive difference in so many people's lives. And it is a rising profession. And if you're interested in becoming a health coach, I highly recommend looking into the Primal Health Coach Institute. I loved the Primal Health Coach Institute because it's a health coaching certification program that's all about real food eating with a nod toward ancestral health and evolutionary biology. And I always like to come from the ancestral health approach. This is one of the best decisions I ever made for my career and I would do it a hundred times over and I highly recommend this program to anybody who's looking into health coaching or if you just want to learn more about health and wellness in general and want a college level education, this is a great program. Like I mentioned, it focuses on ancestral health principles and it starts off with a comprehensive nutrition and health sciences education. You're going to go really in depth and deep. Like I mentioned, it is like a college level course and then some, and you learn exactly how the body actually works. It is a philosophy based on the fact that every single choice we make when it comes to our health, from the food we eat, to our sleep habits, to our stress levels, to the activities we do, to the people we spend our time with, all of those choices affect the body at a cellular level and they all interact with each other. You learn about the science of the body, you learn about detailed nutrition topics, and then you also learn a lot about real life applicable nutrition and health concepts. I love that this program wasn't just about nutrition and food. It also talked a lot about fitness, getting sunlight, sleep patterns, stress management. It really is a holistic approach. And that is the same approach I take with all of my clients and the same approach that really any great practitioner should take if they want to get results because we can't just make one small change. You have to address more than just the food you're eating. And then beyond that, the Primal Health Coach Institute offers a whole section on business development. So you get a resource center that's all about marketing, sales training, developing your business, and they're really training you to master coaching and how to build and launch a successful career. Plus, when you graduate, you get access to the Business Resource Center, which has a ton of made-for-you materials like handouts and flyers, forms, marketing graphics, and even a 12-week coaching program that you can use with your clients from day one. So when you graduate, you are literally all set to go. You can just graduate and start seeing clients. Throughout the entire program and after that, the Primal Health Coach Institute also offers ongoing support through the private Facebook group, monthly live webinars, and mastermind meetups. It really is a strong supportive community and I have met so many incredible like-minded people through this program. You will really be armed with all of the information you need to make a positive 
impact in people's lives and to be a voice in this space because right now health coaches are really needed because there aren't enough functional medicine doctors to be able to do all the work we need to do if we want to turn around this major health crisis we're in. And we need more people in the health space who have real solid information instead of perpetuating a lot of the myths we see out there. This program is also great because it's online. You can do it at your own pace on your own time. And it works really well if you have a crazy schedule. If you have another job, you can absolutely still do it on the side. It really is flexible with your schedule. So if you're interested in learning more, I recommend going to primalhealthcoach.com slash realness and downloading your free ebook all about how to be a health coach. It's going to give you more information on the process of becoming a health coach in five easy steps, and you'll learn a lot more about the Primal Health Coach program in general. So again, go to primalhealthcoach.com slash realness, R-E-A-L-N-E-S-S, and you can get that free ebook and learn more about the Primal Health Coach Institute. And if you're ready to sign up, you can use the discount code COACH200. So that discount code is COACH200, and that will get you $200 off the enrollment fee. And if you're in between actually enrolling, but you already know some information, I highly recommend booking a phone call with Laura Repsis, who has been on this podcast before, and she will let you know more about the program. You can talk through if it's right for you. Just let her know I sent you, and she will be happy to chat with you. So again, primalhealthcoach.com slash realness, and you can find all information there. Whether or not you're a health coach, though, this information is really, really important to understand everything that we're going to be talking about in this podcast with Dr. Jolene Brighton. She's the kind of person who you listen to her and the whole time your hands are just in the air and you're like, yes, yes, amen, preach. I admire her so much and the work that she has done in women's health is truly incredible. So what we can do to support her is to spread the word about this book and get this information out there to more women. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about this topic and I just want to support everybody who is making big moves to change the way things are around here because there are so many women who just don't know about the negative effects of birth control and I really want them to find out because I see it so often with family, friends, clients, and there are alternatives. So we're going to hop into this conversation with Dr. Brighton. I do want to say we were when we recorded, we were on video and sometimes when I'm on video with a person, the interview tends to be better, but sometimes the audio goes in and out. So there are a few connection issues and there were a few moments where she cut out for a second, but just hang in there and she pops right back on and you can tell what she said. So don't worry about that. Either way, this episode is fire. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a goddess. I'm obsessed with her and I am so excited for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here is Dr. Jolene Brighton. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on Wellness Realness. I have been a huge fan of your work for a long time now. And when I, when I heard that you're coming out with this book, Beyond the Pill, I was so excited. Um, I think my demographic specifically, a lot of the women listening to this are like 18 to 30. And mm-hmm. I started learning about um, the side effects of birth control when I was about 20 years old. And then 
you know, researching it, learned so much from you specifically. So it's very, it's very much a surreal moment for me to be chatting with you. Um, but I would love to start off. Could you just kind of explain a bit more about how you got into like focusing on women's hormones and post-birth control syndrome specifically? Yeah. So, well, firstly, thank you for having me. And you're super kind. That's super sweet. Um, I'm like, uh, if my lighting wasn't as it, as it is, you'd see me blushing right now. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, um, you know, the funny thing is, is that I was actually a pretty sick kid with a lot of gut symptoms and issues. And so, you know, I went and uh, studied. So when I went back to college um, on the pill, I'm a first generation college student, used the pill as a tool. I first got a degree in chemistry then in nutritional biochemistry. And I was like, I'm going to go be a doctor that specializes in gut health. And, and it's a good thing I started there in my journey because gut health is everything for your hormones. Um, but it was when I was in naturopathic medical school that I made an observation that so often in the conventional paradigm, women's medicine was done to them, not with them. They weren't actually active participants. And they, I mean, even just like take the gyne exam where they're like, scoot to the edge, scoot to the edge, smack your butt, smack your thigh. Like, I hate that. To this day, still, if anybody ever smacks my butt while I'm like scooting to the end of the table for a pap, like, no, just I, I'm, I'm I'm finally at an age where I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's yeah. not OK. But it's just things like that where it's like we could we can make these shifts and these changes. But, you know, when I'm crossing over from nutritional biochemistry to uh, endocrinology, like when we're talking nutritional pathways, like these biochemists is clicked for me. It's like, oh, okay, that's my life I speak. That's how I actually, you know, see things running in my brain. And so that's what got me into women's medicine. Now, while I was in school, that's when I learned like, oh, you're only fertile one day out of the month and how hormonal birth control actually works. And I, I was like, I don't need to be on this anymore. And I came off. And at that point I lost my period, developed cystic acne, mood swings, I mean, all kinds of issues. When I finally did get my period back, it came back with a vengeance. And it was really leveraging my background in nutritional biochemistry and partnering that with what I was learning in terms of lifestyle therapies and herbal medicine and nutritional supplement therapy within school that I was able to get my period back to, uh, and then when it came back, get it to normalize, to ditch the PMS. And when I went to my doctor about this, he made me feel like I was the only one that had ever experienced this. So I was convinced, okay, I'm a freak. Like I'm the only one. Um, and I really didn't give it, you know, much attention to like what happens when you come off of birth control while I was in medical school. And then I got into rotations at a homeless youth clinic where these are high risk women. They don't have doors at night. So they're at high risk of sexual assault and having access to birth control really is a tool for them uh, in so many ways. And so I spent two years doing a lot of counseling around birth control and noticing that if I was in a conventional doctor's office doing a rotation and a girl said, I'm going off to college, they were like, and here's your pill. Like they pull out this little book, find the pill that would work best for them, prescribe them the pill. And that's about the end of the conversation where, and, and it was, you know, take the pill same time of day, that kind of stuff. But nothing about the side effects. Whereas in this state-funded clinic, we were talking about like, you know, depo too long, you're going to have loss of bone. And, you know, there is a stroke and a heart attack risk. And like, here's things to look out for. And chronic yeast infections can come up. And these conversations weren't really ha being had outside of that. Now, uh, two years of that, and I was actually pretty fatigued. And my husband reminded me that I said, 
when I started my private practice, I would never talk about birth control again. Like I didn't want anything to do with it. I was not going to prescribe it. And then I wrote a book about it. It was hilarious. Like, don't say those things, people. You don't want more of it in your life. Um, but what it really is like, I have to honor my patients because this book is written, you know, because of what they taught me and the issues that they raised. And I got this reputation where women would call my office and say, I hear that Dr. Brighton believes women's stories about birth control. I'd like to come see her, which I thought was like really bizarre. <laughs> the first few times I was like, that's weird. And then getting into those conversations and realizing when women have side effects with birth control, they're dismissed. When they come off of it, the majority struggle and they develop, you know, they might have like, you know, all of the signs and symptoms of post-birth control syndrome or just a few, uh, but there just seemed to be this connection there. And so Coming from a research background, I started to document things, to test things out, to develop these protocols. And then we actually took the protocols that uh, we developed in the clinic, and then we created an online program to give women access to that that couldn't come to the clinic and fill that need. And that helped us to refine and fine tune even more to be able to put it into a book. And so that's really how how all of this got started. And you know, being a super big nerd who I mean, I don't even know how many weekends of my life were dedicated to researching all this birth control, but I know that I was looking through like my um, CMEs, my continuing medical education tracking and all this. I'm like, whoa, this is like a thousand hours. Like this is a lot of time that went into this. Um, it's been a lot, a lot of time of researching. And when I got into the research, like this is the thing is that I've had women say to me, wow, this is like the first time I've ever heard this. This is new information. Like uh, to me, yes, it is. Then they say, wow, like, is, what, did a study just come out? No, actually, the one I'm talking about is from 1970. Like, I, I was shocked. And as my husband would attest, a lot of tears went into this book where, and, and you see, probably see me share this online, where women are like, oh my God, I hate myself for what I did to my body. And I'm like, you know, as I read things and I, I went through this, there were times where I, I tried to write it from the perspective of like, what did I want my 14-year-old self to know? What did I want my 17-year-old self to know? And as I did that, there was just these moments where I'm like, I just wish I would have known. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's something that like, I kind of already went through that journey of being like, yeah, but this was a tool. Would you have really done it differently? Maybe not because you're a first generation college student. That's a big deal in your family. Like maybe you wouldn't have done things differently. And at the same time, like it was necessarily to move through that and have that experience to arrive at where I'm at today to be able to help women. And I say this for anyone listening, because if you start hearing all this and you're getting freaked out, you're feeling ashamed, don't recognize that it was a necessary step in who you are today. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think that a lot of people now, especially in this space, are becoming more aware. Uh, there's more awareness around like that the pill can have negative side effects, but mm -hmm. there's a lack of understanding still about what exactly those are. Like I know even from my own personal experience, I mean, for a long time, I mean, I just went on the pill because I wanted to get rid of my acne. Like, mm -hmm. and so they said, okay, here's the pill. And I was like, great. So I was on the pill and never thought about it. And then um, over time, like I ended up getting sick in college and then I started working at FMD and he would say, you know, you should get off the pill. And I, and I said, why? And he goes, it's just not good for you. And I would mm -hmm. go, why? And he goes, it's just not good. And because I didn't understand the mechanism, it wasn't registering. And it wasn't until later on when I actually started learning about like, what is this actually doing to my body and how to reason? Then I was like, okay, I need to get off of this. Um, so I would love to dive more into that. Like, can we talk about how the pill works in the body and what it's doing on an internal level? 
Yeah. I mean, I spent, I, I think it was like at year nine, I finally got the information about how it actually worked. <laughs> and so, and I'm like, why didn't I ever ask about that? Because the, the doctor was like, we can make your painful periods go away. They won't be heavy anymore. And you can have sex and not get pregnant. And I was like, sold, done. Don't mm-hmm. need to know anything else. So hormonal birth control, the pill in particular, works by shutting down how brain and ovary communication is conducted in the body. So it shuts down your reproductive system so that you don't ovulate, which is a very good thing if you don't want to have a baby. Not such a good thing if you need progesterone and you don't want to have like things like anxiety or sleeplessness. And so that's the main mechanism by which it works. And, you know, there's this idea that just because it was designed to impact the reproductive system alone, that that's all it does. When in reality, we've come to understand that every single system in your body is impacted. And just by way of loan, nutrient depletion. So loss of magnesium, zinc, selenium, folate, B12. Uh, we see that women on the pill, they need higher levels of tryptophan in their diet. And it's been recommended that they should supplement antioxidants, things like CoQ10, how we run our mitochondria, those are impacted as well. Where do your mitochondria hang out? Well, they're all throughout your body. They're the powerhouses of your cells. They're how you create energy. But they're also really concentrated in your brain and your ovaries. So of course, we're going to see an impact there as well. In addition to that, you know, the funny thing is, is that so this I'm going to, I don't know that I've shared this, uh, on a podcast before, but one of the, and it's kind of embarrassing, but one of the top search terms in Google is Dr. Jolene Brighton's age. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't understand why that is. Like, why does everyone want to know who, how old I am? And my husband's like, because when you talk about how you've been in, uh, the medical and health and wellness space for over 20 years, people are going to be like, wait, how old is she? Well, I was a dental assistant at 16, so I actually worked in dentistry for a good six years before going to college, and so I've been in this space for a very long time. And um, you know, back then, back in the day when we, I was learning about nutrition, it went like this uh, in terms of the microbiome. The microbiome, you know, in your gut, it makes some B12, some vitamin K. Other than that, they're pretty much a bunch of freeloaders who eat all your food. Okay, so this is why I'm always like, question everything, stay humble, stay curious, because now, fast forward to like, you know, 15 years later, and the microbiome is everything. Mm -hmm. And we've come to understand that if you have low diversity, you're at risk for chronic disease or chronic conditions. Antibiotics affect that. Well, it turns out the research also shows that hormonal birth control has similar effects as antibiotics on your microbiome. So it creates this chaos in terms of your flora, which is part of why it can lead to yeast vaginitis, so overgrowth of candida. Candida and yeast is the same thing in the vagina. It also causes intestinal hyperpermeability, which is leaky gut, which is why researchers hypothesize that it can increase the risk of autoimmune disease. And in addition to that, it can really strain the adrenal glands, your thyroid function, it affects your thyroid on just about every level. And we know that it increases the risk of diabetes for women. And in addition to that, there is the stroke and the heart attack and the cancer risk. And in chapter eight of my book, the Metabolic Mayhem chapter, I go into detail about the stroke and the heart attack and the cancer risk because it's scary and it's something you shouldn't have to be afraid of if you're on birth control. And I know lots of women who are like, I'm on birth control. I'm so scared I'm going to have a stroke. My doctor like dismisses me sometimes laughs at women. Like, why are you even worried about that? It's such a low risk. And it's like, it's a low risk if you are a low risk population. 
and pills developed for young women to get pregnant. But now it's being prescribed to women for perimenopause and they're a higher risk category. And so that's really the conversation we need to have. And if I did my job right in Beyond the Pill, you're not going to feel afraid. Like too much of women's medicine, we make decisions based on fears. And so I hope to make you so aware and informed about your body that you can decide whether or not you want to go on birth control. You can decide, you know, if you want to stay on it. If you do stay on it, you can get lab testing. You can employ diet lifestyle therapies so you can stay safe on it and not be afraid of being on it. And then I provide protocols so you can come off and not feel fearful about coming off. And, you know, for someone like you being prescribed it for acne, I mean, almost 60% of women are taking birth control for symptoms. It, those symptoms are almost guaranteed to come back. And acne is definitely one that drives women right back on birth control. And they'll say, like, I'm so afraid to come off. I don't feel like I'll ever be able to have a pill-free period because my, my skin looks so bad. Yeah. I, well, luckily, my, actually, luckily, my acne didn't come back when I came off of it. But what, di- what didn't come back that I wanted to come back was my period. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we could talk more about that, which kind of rolls into like maybe like post birth control syndrome um, symptoms and what yeah. that is. Yeah. So uh, post pill amenorrhea is what it's termed in the research um, is part of post birth control syndrome. And what we understand, so it's actually quite common now for, uh, well, let me just ask you if you're okay sharing, were your periods regular and predictable before you started the pill? No, they weren't. They no. were very okay. irregular. Yeah. Yeah. So for everybody listening, we'll just use you and I as case examples in this. So I had regular periods, although my doctor tried to convince me that I was misremembering. It's possible, but I dreaded my period like doomsday. So I counted it down every day of the month. And I had a good three years of pill-free periods. And so with that, I knew my periods came every single month. When I came off of birth control and it was month three, I should have had a period back. So in the research, it says post-pill amenorrhea is expected. Like how many of us have been told this, that amenorrhea is what we call a missing period in medicine. That's expected for three months uh, if you had regular periods. So every single month you had a period when you come off of birth control. And after three months is when we get concerned and test. Now, if your periods were irregular, you could not predict them, then post-pill amenorrhea is expected to last six months, at which point then that's when they recommend you investigate. In my practice, I'm like, if we're getting, coming up on month two, we need to see what's going on because maybe it's because your brain and ovaries are trying to get the party started again and talk once more, or maybe you're hypothyroid, or maybe you have PCOS, maybe you have something else going on, and it really warrants an investigation. And so that's kind of the difference um, there of like what we expect to see. But I still encourage people like get, start getting tested sooner, um, especially if you're concerned. Because the pill could have been masking something going on. And you in these things like PCOS and hypothyroidism, like they won't self-resolve. You've got to know what you're dealing with and really be targeted in that. Now, I mentioned it's part of post-birth control syndrome. Post-birth control syndrome are the signs and symptoms that come up about four to six months when you come off of birth control. And there's a whole chapter on this in my book. Now, with that, it's a syndrome, <clears throat> which means that you can have all the things or just a few of the things. And those things might look like acne, it might look like irregular periods, missing periods, painful periods, heavy periods, even digestive issues going on, new onset of neurological issues like migraines or headaches. Like you might start having like 
weird rashes that you can't explain. Autoimmune disease might be triggered. Hormonal fluctuations are triggering events for us as women. Whether that's you're getting on the pill, you're starting your period, you are going through perimenopause, you got pregnant, you had a miscarriage or you had a baby. Like These kinds of fluctuations can absolutely trigger autoimmunity. So with that, there's a lot of critics who are like, this one I, I love is post-birth control syndrome is just a woman like returning to her normal. And I'm like, okay, it's not normal mm-hmm. to have acne. It is not normal to have period pain. Like that needs to switch. Like that is common, but it is not normal. Mm-hmm. And really it is true that if you use birth control to mask the symptoms and as part of post-birth control syndrome, those symptoms can return. Absolutely. But it may very well be brand new symptoms. I had never had acne and like, I, you know, I had like a pimple here and there because every teenager does, but like I never had cystic acne before. Mm-hmm. Um, I have lots of patients that go through the same thing. I have patients that are like, I don't understand. Like I, you know, always had these clockwork periods. It's been four years. I haven't seen my period. Like, mm-hmm. and my doctor just keeps saying, go back on the pill. And when you're ready to have a baby, there's IVF. And like, that's an option. Like that's one option, but that's why this book is called beyond the pill is because I wanted to give solutions beyond birth control. And if you do decide to use it, then I want to give you solutions to like what might be going wrong. Cause it's not so simple and black and white in every woman's life to say, just jump off of hormonal birth control or just stop the pill. You might be at a place where you're like, I don't know what I would do next. I don't want to get pregnant, but I need some help with these symptoms. Yeah. I would love to get more into some of the mechanisms behind, for instance, I think it's really interesting the connection between the pill and autoimmunity. Like, could you Mm -hmm. explain more about like the mechanism behind that and how they're connected? Yeah. So for every woman who's interested in that, you want to go to the gut check chapter in beyond the pill. I mean, this is the thing that like, um, I, I think everybody expected this book was just going to be about birth control and to see how many people are like, Oh my God, she's talking about gut health. Oh my God. She's talking about detox. Oh my God. Like there's this whole like bit about autoimmunity in here and like how to how to reverse autoimmune disease and I'm like because this is all of the common women health issues that we face now with autoimmune disease so with the pill uh, in particular I think the most profound study is the one that came out of Harvard showing that if you had a family history of Crohn's disease you had over a 300% increased risk of developing Crohn's disease after five years on the pill. Now, Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease of the body. It's in the category of the body, of the gut. Um, it's in the category of inflammatory bowel disease. And it can show up as subtly as, subtly as having ulcers in your mouth. Um, you can start to have malabsorption issues, but this can progress where you have ulcerations throughout anywhere in your intestines. They can perforate. That means Basically, your intestines break open in your abdomen and spill contents. This is a very bad thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Very bad thing. Um, and it's it can be life-threatening. So that's one autoimmune condition. Now, the other thing, and I, I go through and talk about some of the others, because like with lupus, it's like maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Lupus is where we get like a butterfly rash on our face. Um, it affects your connective tissue. Then we know there's an estrogen component to that. And like we need a lot more research in this arena. But like recognize women that we haven't been the focus of many research studies for a very long time. Like they just started studying us like yesterday. <laughs> now, what happens, and I talk about this in Beyond the Pill, is that there are three recipes of autoimmune disease in developing this. And uh, Dr. Fasano is the one um, who really developed this theory of autoimmunity. And you, you, if you're like, wait, say that again, go read the book, you'll get his name, go check him out. And so with that, 
there's three ingredients. One is we have genetic predisposition. So you've got the genes. But as we know, uh, thank you, epigenetics research, genes are not everything. You can turn them on and off. So you've got to have the genes. Now, the other thing is intestinal hyperpermeability has to be present. That is known as leaky gut. What I had said earlier, if you missed it, go rewind and listen that hormonal birth control leads to leaky gut. So what that is, is that you've got these cells in your intestine. So in, in the intestine, it's only about one cell layer. Uh, so just one single cell layer, you guys. It's not like there's this like huge wall of skin protecting your intestines. And what will happen is they're supposed to be these tight junctions and they butt up together and they only let like really well digested, broken down molecules get through. But instead, they're leaky. So they have separated a bit. Uh, think of it as like, you know, I, I'm showing you my fingers right now, how they're separating, but then then larger proteins get through and those can be food proteins. Those can be bacterial, viral, uh, yeast proteins, parasites, uh, you, you name it, anything can get through and now it's in your blood and it doesn't belong there. And your immune system being really smart is like, that's not us. We should attack it. Cause that's what your immune system does. It's like, that's bacteria that doesn't belong here. We need to attack it so we don't get sick. And so that can trigger an immune mediated event in itself. So that could trigger autoimmunity if you like get an infectious agent to go in. But you just may have leaky gut, which is getting your immune system all hot and bothered because 70 to 80% of your immune system is living in your gut. And then you have a triggering event. Now, the reality is, is that I said, a triggering event can be a hormonal fluctuation, like having a baby, perimenopause, getting your period, starting or stopping hormonal birth control. It's also a hormonal fluctuation. But other triggering events is you could end up in a car accident. You could end up, you know, in um in a really stressful situation. You could contract mono or, you know, get something like that that, you know, hits your immune system. And so there's a lot of things that can uh, lend to this. But if you're on hormonal birth control, you're lowering microbial diversity in your gut, which is what keeps your immune system in check. You are depleting nutrients that also keep your immune system in check. You're causing intestinal hyperpermeability, leaky gut, which is part of that recipe to develop autoimmune disease. And um, in addition, you are elevating what's called cortisol binding globulin. Cortisol, we, we all hear about it for belly fat. It also controls inflammation. It helps with controlling your immune system. So there's a lot of ways that hormonal birth control can be playing a role in this. And, you know, people will reach out to me and be like, this is the one thing, isn't it? And I'm like, there's never one thing because you and your environment is way too complex. Rather, the way I like to view it is it's one more drop in the bucket. How full is your bucket already? If your bucket's already full, that one drop may cause it to overflow. And it's the same with the cancer risk as well is like, you know, maybe the breast cancer risk is only 20% elevated. And statistically speaking, that's regarded as, you know, a small increase. However, if you have a family history, if you live in a really toxic environment, uh, depending on the diet and like the foods you have access to, like that might just be one more drop in the bucket for you, which actually skews your risk to be a bit higher. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the cancer risk for a second, because I think this is one that's confusing is you know, I, I learned now that it can increase your risk of certain types of cancers, but I was told for years by my doctor that go on the pill because it reduces your risk of cancer. So like, yeah. what, like, you know, what is that? What is that? And I've heard that from other people as well. You know, when I'm talking about it and they say, no, my doctor says this reduces my risk of cancer. I'm like, so who's right? Yeah. So that's, you know, uh, this like such a good question. So I am trying to think if we release this interview yet. So on YouTube, I have these beyond the pill stories of like real women telling their stories about birth control. 
And I don't know if this one's come out uh, yet, but I had a gal who she, so her father is a breast cancer specialist. That's what he does. And she went to a primary care doctor and a primary care doctor, actually, it was like very dismissive of the cancer risk at all. And then she asked her dad and her dad's like, no, absolutely. It raises the, like, do you know how many women are in my clinic who have a history of using the pill? Like, and he's like, you're my daughter. Like, I won't, I, I, I don't want you to do this. And so it's very interesting to hear that, like, you know, here is this primary care doctor saying one thing, and then there is this breast cancer specialist saying another. So with the breast cancer risk, what, um, why it got really confusing as well is the newer generations of the pill came out. It, yes, was lower dose compared to the original like formulation, which was horrific and made it, I mean, women were just so sick when they were on that. Um, but with that, they assumed there was this assumption in medicine that because it was lower dose, then it was lower risk for breast cancer. Then a study came out, um, and this was out of the New England Journal of Medicine, and it actually said, no, it was never a lower risk. In fact, like it, it still is a st substantial risk. And so this is where I've kind of challenged that, like we can't be dogmatic and we can't say, I want evidence-based medicine in order to, you know, say what I'm going to say and back it up. But then at the same time, we can just say, well, because it's lower dose, then it's lower risk. And mm -hmm. so that was a bit of a myth. And we, there was no study that had shown either way, but doctors were still, you know, under that assumption. And I don't, it's not because your doctor was doing anything wrong. It's more likely that was the education they were receiving re regarding this pharmaceutical. So the breast cancer risk, just to put it in perspective, every woman, uh, you know, is at risk of breast cancer, as we know. Um, it's about 55 per 100,000 women will uh, develop breast cancer. When you put the pill into the mix, that number climbs to 68 per 100,000 women. So, you know, when you look at that from a statistical perspective and you're like, oh, it's only about a 20% increased risk, that doesn't seem, you know, that significant given like the other factors that can contribute. However, we're talking about cancer. We're talking about something that does absolutely impact your life and everybody else's life. We're not talking about acne. Nobody dies of acne. We're talking about cancer here. Now, and you know, uh, and I go through this in Beyond the Pill. So anyone listening that's like, whoa, I feel kind of freaked out, read up on it because they also give you like lots, lots of diet and lifestyle therapies that you can employ that we know lower breast cancer risk um, or cancer risk in general, things like eating broccoli sprouts and exercising and, you know, all of these things that like we know we should be doing, they can help. So breast cancer, cervical cancer, liver cancer, and brain cancer are all increased while you're using hormonal birth control. Yet on the flip side, we do see things like endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer are lower. And so that's the other place where this conversation, you know, will come into play where it's like, well, no, my doctor said it actually can help lower cancer risk. Well, that is true for ovarian cancer, and that is true for endometrial cancer. It's not the only way, though. Mm -hmm. And that's often what we get told is that, like, if you have a family history of ovarian cancer, like, the only way to prevent that is to use the pill. That's one way. It might be, it might be part of your protocol. You might elect to have that, but there are other things as well. And so um, I try to be really fair in that chapter. I know there are people out there that love to, you know, vilify birth control and be like, yes, it's gonna give you cancer, and yes, it's going to do all of these things. But it's like that, you know, there are like some benefits to taking it. Like if you're a woman with endometriosis, you're in severe pain, you're bleeding heavily, 
Like you don't have the energy or, you know, the capacity to do the diet and lifestyle therapies. You may end up using the pill as a tool as part of your healing journey. And that's something I just believe that women should be supported in that decision. I hope you guys are enjoying this discussion with Dr. Jolene Brighton. I know she is a wealth of information, but I want to take a brief pause for a second to talk about something that can impact our hormonal health as well, which is caffeine intake. When women come to me looking to balance their hormones, we want to regulate those cortisol levels, we want to detox the liver. One of the first things I encourage them to do is to reduce or eliminate their caffeine intake. And one of my favorite ways to help them do that is to get them on something that they can sort of swap out for their daily cup of coffee. And some of my favorite products to do this come from Four Sigmatic. If you haven't heard of Four Sigmatic yet, then you really need to. They make drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. They have tins for at-home use, and then they also have single-serve packets, which are super convenient. You can carry them around, share them, or just use those at home, like me. More people are becoming aware of this, but there is an entire kingdom of mushrooms out there that have amazing health benefits for immunity, energy, and longevity that have been studied for centuries. And Four Sigmatic is all about the magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help everyone live healthier, more enhanced lives. I actually have my cordyceps right next to me. I'm sipping on it for some natural caffeine-free energy. I love the cordyceps. It's also great for athletes if you are looking for some all-natural energy. Four Sigmatic elixirs are great because all you have to do is mix them up with a cup of hot water or you can mix them with some nut milk if you want to make it a little fancier or mix them into smoothies or shakes. But they taste absolutely delicious rather than just buying the straight powder of whatever mushroom you're trying to incorporate into your diet because usually when you buy the straight powder from a store, first of all, you're not getting the highest quality more often than not. And second of all, it usually tastes like dirt but Four Sigmatic has made their elixirs so that they taste absolutely delicious, as is, like I said, you just have to mix it with some hot water. Four Sigmatic uses the highest quality ingredients. They're all wild-crafted or law-grown and certified organic mushrooms, and their products have been tested for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, mycotoxins, and other factors. They're also incredibly effective. You're getting 500 to 1500 milligrams of dual extracted mushrooms per serving, which makes the Four Sigmatic Elixirs the most potent product on the market. One packet is the equivalent of 10 to 15 capsules of the mushroom. And they're great because they all have that earthy flavor. It's sort of reminiscent of coffee. It doesn't taste exactly like coffee, but it can help to replace your caffeine habit and give you natural health benefits. So like I mentioned, the cordyceps is one of my favorite for natural energy. It's great if you are into performance. And again, it's an adaptogen, not a stimulant. So you're going to produce and maintain steady energy levels and you won't get that crash. Another one I love is the reishi. It's their anti-stress elixir which is perfect for this conversation as we talk about reducing stress intake to balance out our hormones and if your body's been under stress from anything, whether that be emotional or physical stressors, the ratio can help you wind down at night. I like to drink it every evening before I go to sleep. If you have trouble winding down or trouble sleeping, the reishi could be a great one to try out. There's also the chaga elixir, which is amazing for immunity. 
you want to make sure you don't get sick or if your immune system feels a bit compromised that can help give you that boost you need it has a ton of antioxidant properties and then there's also the lion's mane which is an all natural cognitive enhancer it's been shown to support memory and concentration so this is great if you have a tough day at work if you got to study if you have to read or write or memorize anything that's a great option and if you can't cut the coffee completely and you want a better option, I highly recommend their mushroom coffee mixes, which is coffee mixed with adaptogens like cordyceps and chaga or their lion's mane and chaga blend. So this will help give you that coffee you want, but more of a balanced sense of stimulation. You won't get the jitters. And all you have to do again is add hot water and stir it in. They also have a delicious mushroom hot cacao mix, which I love. I love the one with reishi. They have a whole line of superfood blends. I highly recommend their Superfood 10 mushroom blend. I have a recipe on my website for my cacao dream smoothie that's delicious, and I like to use that powder in that smoothie bowl. I also love their golden latte mix with shiitake and turmeric. And they also have a matcha latte, a chai latte, a mushroom mocha with chaga. So many different options. So please do not go to Starbucks. You can get much, much better drinks from Four Sigmatic that actually have health benefits and aren't filled with all of those unnecessary, unhealthy added ingredients. Now that these have become a daily part of my life, I cannot live without them. I always carry a bunch of packs in my purse, so I have them wherever I go, and if I'm ever out and I want one, I just go find somewhere that can serve me hot water, and then I pour out my, my Four Sigmatic pack. And if you guys didn't see, I'm super excited because they just released their mushroom chocolate 10 pack. So they have these little chocolates that are so delicious. They're just sweetened with a little bit of coconut sugar. So if you are a chocolate fiend like me, then I highly recommend checking those out. They're limited edition right now. They're vegan chocolates. So good. And they are mixed with their 10 mushroom blend. Who doesn't love mushroom chocolate, you know? So if you want to check out Four Sigmatic, go to foursigmatic.com slash CRW. That will get you 15% off of your purchase. Again, foursigmatic.com slash CRW. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash CRW. And my code CRW will get you 15% off of your order. If you are trying to balance out your hormones, if you're trying to reduce inflammation in your body and help it calm down a little bit, then I highly recommend making that switch, getting off of caffeine, starting to incorporate things into your diet that are anti-inflammatory and promote the immune system and support longevity and stress management and sleep. And these do just that and they're delicious. And if you try them out, let me know what you thought. I love seeing when you guys get your four Sigmatic orders in the mail. Okay, that is all I have to say about these delicious mushroom elixirs. I'm going to get back to finishing my cordyceps. And I'll let you get back to listening to this conversation with Dr. Jolene Brighton. Yeah, I definitely wanted to touch on endometriosis and PCOS because I, a, lo- a lot of people say, you know, my doctor says I have to go on the pill to manage this. But I mean, looking at endometriosis, so you've mentioned that that is one possible option. What would be the other option? Oh, yeah. So endometriosis. So let me just say this, like medicine, again, has not been studying women or giving women's medicine, like really, the respect it deserves. And so endometriosis is highly dismissed. And uh, really, I mean, so many women struggle with this. And the thing that 
really has to shift in this paradigm is endometriosis requires a team. At least that's my opinion. And from my clinical experience is that it's not enough just to work with me. We've got to find an excellent surgeon. Whether or not you need surgery, we want to have that contact in case it does become that route. We want to have a massage therapist that can help with adhesions and help you get out of pain. We want to have a counselor. This is a chronic pain condition. Chronic pain conditions weigh on our mental health heavily. We also want to have, you know, great nutritionists on board and, and other people that can really help. Now, with endometriosis, like we need a lot more research, but we're coming to understand that the, it's likely has an autoimmune component. Estrogen excess plays a role in all of this, whether it's a chicken or egg, doesn't really matter if you've got endo, we've got to address that. Um, it's inflammatory. So we've got to get inflammation down, eating an anti-inflammatory diet, drinking the golden milk recipe that's in my book, making sure you don't have gut infections. You know, with endo and PCOS, there's starting to be more research saying, ah, there's something going on with the gut here as well. So with that, you know, endometriosis is something that uh, women will often get put on the pill at a very young age, no discussion about it. And <clears throat> as somebody who had very painful periods, but, you know, I would never say, I mean, I would never say, oh, yeah, I had periods as painful as endo. My doctors did suspect I might, I might have had endo at some point. That conversation didn't come up until much later. So many women are put on the pill. There's no discussion of this until like 20 years later, they want to have a baby. They come off the pill and they find out, oh, I actually had an underlying issue that was causing that pain, which led to like basically my fallopian tubes having these deposits put in them and overgrowth. And like, I can't get pregnant. Now I'm infertile. I mean, endometriosis is estimated to be about 12% of infer infertility cases. Research has said the probability of a girl having endo is like the longer she's on the pill and the like younger she was put on it due to period pain, the higher the probability. But if it makes your symptoms go away, no one may be following up on you. And the only way to diagnose endometriosis is surgery. Nobody wants to do surgery on a young girl's pelvis. And I 100% support that. But that doesn't mean you don't have that dialogue with that 14 year old, 15 year old, 16 year old and say, this might be endometriosis. We should follow this. We should be working on other root cause um, ways to resolve this. If you can't do that as a doctor, refer them to someone who can. And you know, if this persists, we're gonna want to we're gonna want to do that surgery in the future, and that should be on our radar to make sure you get this diagnosis. Delaying diagnosis by suppressing a woman's symptoms is, in my way, it's a, in my mind, it's a disservice, and it is not acceptable to do that. And the same is true for PCOS. So, PCOS women irregular periods. Uh, they end up having acne outbreaks. They might be growing hair on their chin, chest, abdomen. Can hormonal birth control help with that? Yeah, it can totally help with that in some women. Uh, but the problem is, is that doctors will say, you had irregular periods. That was your main complaint. We put you on the pill. Now your periods are regular. You're fine. Except your periods are not regular. They're, those are withdrawal bleeds. You're not having a period. And the real issue, and I get into this in my metabolic chapter, the real issue that I take with this is that there's no discussion with these PCOS women that like, hey, your condition is actually caused by a metabolic disorder and inflammation. And I'm giving you this pill that will give you these withdrawal bleeds. However, it is inflammatory and it can cause cardiovascular issues in women and, you know, women. And you're at risk for that dialogue we need to be having. And then monitoring these women because 
It's not hard to check someone's blood and to be like, okay, you're on the pill. You have PCOS and hopefully you've gotten that diagnosis. Okay, so you have PCOS, like let's measure your hemoglobin A1C and make sure your blood sugar is okay. Make sure your inflammation is okay. Like check in on your other symptoms as well and understand that when you come off of birth control, the average woman can take, you know, when you get into the research, we're all told like, oh, you can get you can get pregnant right away. Like you just come off, you get pregnant. I outline in the book why you don't want to do that. But in addition to that, you get into the research, some women, it can take up to a year and a half to get pregnant after birth control. A woman with PCOS can take even longer because the hallmarks, one of the hallmark symptoms is anovulatory cycles. She doesn't have ovulation. So if that's the case, you might want to give her a heads up that like five years before she wants to have a baby, that's a good time to make a transition off and support your body so that you do have that window of opportunity rather than, you know, what happens with so many women is they're like, I'm 35, 38, I want to have a baby, I'll just come off the pill and I'll just get pregnant. And then they find out that like, actually, it's going to take some time. I would love for you to touch more on, I've heard you talk about this recently, like, why is it not a good idea to try and get pregnant right after coming off the pill? Yeah, so uh, this is like, actually really cool is that, um, well, it's not really cool. Don't you guys don't misunderstand me. What's this, this piece that I'm going to say is really cool. Um, is that I submitted the manuscript for my book and I actually said in there, um, what I've seen clinically is that you need to take at least six months to really like rehab your body after birth control, replenish nutrient stores, get your gut health back in check. Your gut microbiome becomes baby's microbiome. You don't want to enter into pregnancy nutrient depleted. Otherwise it's an uphill battle. I start to outline all of these things and how like if you're on a medication that's inflammatory, it's caused these issues, it can make getting pregnant harder. So do yourself the service, really love up your body, right? I submit the manuscript. If you guys, anybody listening who's written a book, you think you send this away and then it comes back. And then you send it out and it comes back. And you're like, I finally at one point was like, this is like a boomerang. I cannot. It just keeps coming back. Like I had no idea how many iterations. But what what was cool is that this study came out. I submitted the manuscript. Then this study came out showing that if you if women get pregnant within a six-month window of coming off of birth control, their babies are at higher risk of cancer. So this is what I was like saying. Like, this is not cool. It's mm-hmm. not the cool part. The cool part is, is this study came out while I had the manuscript back and I could actually put that study into the book so that women could have that information. Now, we don't know what is going on in this. This is very preliminary. We need a lot more research, but it is something that gave the entire medical community pause on that story that's been told over and over to women of, when you want to get pregnant, just get off the pill, get pregnant the next month, no worries. Because now the story is shifting of like, oh, what impact could this have on baby's health? Now, If you already came off the pill, you got pregnant in that six-month window, know that every day, today, tomorrow, is an opportunity to do better. Don't shame yourself. Don't judge yourself. Because this study literally just came out at the end of 2018. Like, it is brand new, and we still don't know that much about it. And so, you know, that is something that uh, my husband actually said to me. He was like, did you know that? Did Like, uh, you know, you said that in your book, and then this research study came out. Like, did you know that? I'm like, how would I know that? There was no study. Like, I didn't, I wasn't doing this huge cohort and, like, mm-hmm. watching babies. Like, I just observed that if women got pregnant within a six-month window, the pregnancy was more difficult. Postpartum was more difficult. Like, babies seemed to have more issues. And so, you know, and when you just go back into the other studies that are like, what you have got to do you know, in terms of microbiome health for baby to have a healthy microbiome and the healthy microbiome sets up baby's immune system for life. I mean, this is the thing is that there are a lot of people out there saying like, we have to have a research study that says like, 
this specific thing for this specific thing. And I'm like, but you don't have to have like a research study that necessarily says hormonal birth control alters the microbiome. Therefore that leads to, you know, mood shifting symptoms. I would love to see that study. Can we get on that? But we don't need to have that to believe women's stories that they've been being told since the introduction of hormonal birth control about these mood altering symptoms that happen when they start it. And we can look to the other research and say, well, we know that research says like, you know, they did animal studies showing sterile guts in mice. These mice are more anxious. They inoculate them with lactobacillus rhamnosus. Now they're less anxious. Like we understand the microbiome plays a role in our mood. We know inflammation plays a role in our mood. We know our nutrients play a role in our mood. Mm -hmm. And this medication, and that's what it is, hormonal birth control is a medication, it alters all of those things. So why is it that we can't question it? Uh, why is it we can't be curious about it and say, Maybe there's some truth to what women are saying. I mean, I, for one, I'm like, I, you know, whenever I'm mentoring doctors and they're like, I need a study. And I'm like, you've got the best teachers in the world. They sit across from you in your practice and they tell you their experience because studies are designed and simplified and refined and distilled down to get something statistically meaningful. Your patients are real world experience walking around, like giving you data. Amen. Honestly, I think this is why people are having such trouble with this because so many women are going to their doctors and their doctors are saying this isn't real you know there's no study post-birth control syndrome isn't real it reminds me of like leaky gut leaky gut's not real um intestinal hyperpermeability is not real like um and then adrenal fatigue adrenal I wrote fatigue. that in my book I'm like I remember when and I did I, I don't know maybe this is where the researching my age came up but like I remember the time when adrenal fatigue that's not real that's not real I still hate when I see people just being haters. And when someone says adrenal fatigue, they're like, oh, that's not a term. And no one calls it that. And it's like, boy, like, what is like, what is the point of language, but yeah. to convey a thought that someone else can understand. And so if somebody says adrenal fatigue, it's, an, it's not an opportunity to berate them. It's an opportunity to say, Yes. And adrenal fatigue is actually known as HPA dysregulation now, because what we've come to understand is, is the brain communicating to the adrenal glands. And that's where the dysfunction lies. The dysfunction doesn't lie in your adrenal glands quitting. But we started and we started with that language so that we could start having a conversation so that we could be curious about it. And I just think it's ridiculous how people go out and they're just like, that's not real. And it's like, how much do you really know about the human body? Like yeah. 2016, we discovered new anatomical structures. And how long have we been dissecting the human body? Like, th this is where I'm like, science is humble. Science is curious. So, uh, science is never done questioning things. Mm -hmm. And so when people say, like, this is not real, I'm like, nobody, like, said a unicorn. And by the way, those might be real, too. I don't know. Like, how much do I know about the world? Like, <laughs> but it's just ridiculous to me. And, like, there are so many people that are, like, post-birth control syndrome is not real. And I'm like, well, tell it to the millions of women who have been reporting it for decades mm -hmm. at a time. Tell it to them that it's not real because they're living it right now. And how many other things have we dismissed in women's medicine and for how long? I mean, there is a clear medical gender bias that exists where studies are being published about it. And we're watching medical schools change their curriculum because we know that women are at higher risk of dying from a heart attack because of the bias that exists. Like, that's no joke right there. And so it's like, and then to see people come out and be like, and post-birth control syndrome is not real. And I'm like, 
But you do recognize that you have a medical gender bias to already not believe women's stories and to chalk up everything as being in their head. And, you know, and I'm not like doctors are not bad people. Okay. Like they're definitely like I had a, I had a conventional doctor and a medical doctor say to me, and I, this was a really eye opener for me. And he said to me, you know, the thing is, is that we get indoctrinated in residency. So whatever we learned in residency is like gospel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is a problem because that's not science. That's religion. Now that we're talking about those, those have their different places, but he's like, it's like, it's gospel. It's the truth. And you've got to have so many studies to change a doctor's mind from what they were indoctrinated in in residency. And that was just really interesting to me to hear that and be like, that, that makes sense. But I think that, you know, there are a lot of really awesome doctors out there. Some of my best friends are medical doctors, so I don't bag on them. There's a lot of really awesome doctors out there, but there's a lot of doctors that are still kind of stuck in the old story. And Mm -hmm. it's not that they're trying to hurt you. It's just that like, they're still playing this old story of like women's symptoms are mostly in their head and it's mostly stress or an emotional problem. I mean, we know that when it comes to chronic pain, we are more likely to receive inadequate treatment as women. And a man goes in complaining of chronic pain, they're going to investigate that. But in a woman, they're more likely, especially like endometriosis women, like ask them how many doctors they had to go to, like to get, I mean, it's like average is five or more doctors in the United States before someone believes you about your symptoms being a woman. Like this is the kind of stuff that I'm like, we can't stand for this anymore. And I've had people say to me, well, how come you didn't try to launch into research studies? I'm like, okay, well, one, those are really expensive. Who's going to fund that? (laughs) But two, if I know that I can come out with a research study, which will probably be dismissed everywhere Mm -hmm. and then maybe accepted almost 20 years later, like how does that really serve women? I mean, by the time the average medical publication and findings are adopted into a clinical practice, by the time it's adopted into a clinical practice, I wouldn't, it's very unlikely that I even, no, there's like no way I'd be like in my fifties. Like I'm not going to be having a period anymore. So like, Mm -hmm. I don't have that time. And I recognize that women don't have that time. And Really, I'm like, if we need to change women's medicine, it's not going to come from one study coming out. It's not going to come from one doctor talking about this. Like, that's not the way it's going to work. It's going to work when we put the medicine in women's hands. They go to their doctor having a more educated discussion with them, advocating for themselves, and also showing their doctor what is possible using diet and nutritional therapies. Like, that's how we start to create some change. Like, when, and, and this is like anything that involves the consumer. Like, again, I'm like so dating myself right now, but like, I remember a time when like you couldn't find organic food. Like it was like really hard to find organic food. And back then I was a nutritionist. I was lecturing to people saying, vote with your dollar, vote with your dollar, because the more times you vote with your dollar to get that organic food, the more we will see organic food become available. Now you can get it delivered to your house. Like organic food is everywhere. And this is the kind of change. Like I want to highlight that because I think we get we get this idea that like there's this big machine and we're just this tiny little cog and there's nothing that we can do, but like together we are really loud and together we can create change. And the change that we need in women's medicine, it starts with women healing themselves because you don't have capacity to make change if your hormones are off the rails. Like mm-hmm. you have to have that, that piece. But as I talk about in the book, you know, when a woman heals herself, it's like a drop into a body of water. It creates this ripple effect. Whether or not she verbalizes what she has done, 
people take notice. People in her life start to ask questions. People like in her household start to shift their eating habits. I mean, that's the, if you've heard me on lives, whenever women are like, I want to do like, I want to eat more cruciferous vegetables, but like my husband or my kids won't. And I'm like, dude, they got to roll with whatever you're cooking or they got to fend for themselves. Like, but that's how you actually heal generations upon generations is that you start with yourself. And believe me, like I can't even tell you. So I do women's endocrine health, but how many times a husband or a partner reaches out to me and he's like, so, uh, yo, I saw, I saw what you were doing with her and I saw like, she has all this energy. She sleeps now. Everything's better. Like, I want in on this. I want in on this. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the diet. She said, do the diet. I'm taking the supplements. I'm getting sleep. Not all of that. And it really, I mean, it shifts in that really positive way. And you don't think you sometimes don't think like you are not, let me just say like you forget your power. Like that's mm-hmm. really what it is. And, um, you know, so many women have written me and they say like, your book is so empowering. And I'm like, you're the powerful one. It's just reminding you, like, I'm just reminding you of the power that you always had. Yeah. I think unfortunately a lot of women are stuck in this mindset that we need some type of validation, um, of what we're feeling or like what we're experiencing. I hear it gets better in your forties. I yeah. don't know. Like I still go through that as well. It's, it's, a, yeah, it's indoctrinated and that's, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's kind of like the thing where I, I like to use the gluten example when people will say, you know, I don't know that I have a gluten intolerance cause I haven't taken a test. And I'm like, well, you get sick every time you eat it, but, but they're like, but the test doesn't show it. Well, Mm -hmm. do you really need a test to tell you that your body is responding this way when you experience it? Um, And then I think that idea gets reinforced when they go to a doctor and they're trying to explain um, these symptoms they have and they're being on the pill and wondering if it's from the pill and the doctor is saying, no, it's not. So then what you're experiencing becomes invalidated and then you don't want to talk about it, you know? So I think it's about women learning to trust their bodies and just like roll with it and like be like, this is, this is what I'm experiencing. Um, Yeah. And that's, I mean, 100% to what you just said is that we need to trust ourselves. And if your doctor isn't believing your story, it doesn't make them a bad doctor. They just might not have, like, they might be in a different philosophy. They don't have the capacity for that. And I like to use the example of like, if you go to the sandwich shop and you ask for ice cream, like you and the sandwich shop owner are going to get frustrated when you keep asking for ice cream over and over and over because they don't make ice cream. It's not what they do. You need to go to the ice cream shop. Like, that's what you want. And it's the same thing of like when we go to, like, you know, we've been taught that like you go to your primary care doctor for like everything, but we know way too much in medicine now for them to be a one stop shop for everyone. That's why they're specialists now. And if you go to them and you're like, I want the root cause medicine, but they're like, I'm trained in an acute care management model. Like, mm-hmm. they're making sandwiches and you're there for ice cream. The problem is not the sandwich shop owner. The problem is, is that you've got to go to a different shop. Like, there's a shop that offers that. And that's where we're really seeing medicine head is that you keep the primary care doctor, you keep your specialist, like you build a healthcare team. And there's someone out there like me who does this root cause medicine work that can help you and spend the time with you. It's a different philosophy. It's a different paradigm. It's a different style of practice altogether. Like people will be like, Oh, if we're in the woods and like, there's a major injury, then like, you could just help me. Like if we're on a plane and somebody goes down, you can help. And I'm like, well, I know CPR. I know basic emergency medical care. I can tie a tourniquet. There's those things. But like, don't put me in an emergency room. I don't know that. Like, that's not my forte. That's not my strength. That's not what I do. Having conversations in really complex, like, medical cases and getting a plethora of pieces to put together and paint a picture, 
that's my strength. I'm a really good, like chronic disease problem solver. Mm-hmm. Um, but give me an emergency room and I'd be like, I need a nap. You guys, like, <laughs> I don't do this all night stuff. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, okay. Let's get into, let's, let's say someone's listening to this. They want to get off the pill or maybe somebody went off the pill recently. What can they do to support their bodies through that process? Yeah. So, you know, in the book, I walk you through like the five fundamentals of the Brighton protocol. And so these don't happen in a particular order. They really have to happen like all at the same time. Thank you, my patients for teaching me this. <laughs> my t- patients have taught me so much. It's also like the way the diet's laid out in the book. People are like, that you don't cut out eggs. Like I don't understand. And I'm like, well, what I found out is it really didn't matter because my patients didn't cut out eggs during elimination diets. And like, and then we investigated like, who cut out eggs, who didn't cut out eggs and people who cut out eggs. If you have autoimmune disease or something, or you have a sensitivity, that's a different story. But the women who didn't cut out eggs, like they seem to do better. And I think it's because they got antioxidants in there. So vitamin A, they got uh, biotin, they got high quality protein, they got cholesterol to build their hormones, which you'll read all about in the lowdown about your hormones in the book. So and, and that's like, so there's the dietary piece, which leads me because people are gonna be like, wait, what is these steps? Like she's just, she's going off on this like diet thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's part of it is that mm-hmm. you've got to replenish nutrient stores. And so you have to dial in your diet, but it, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, with the way the food supply is and the depletions of hormonal birth control, you're going to need a multivitamin or prenatal. And if you're thinking about becoming pregnant in the future, jump on that prenatal and start supporting your body. So <clears throat> that's one piece. Now, the other piece is that you're going to have to heal your gut. So you can start bringing on foods like, uh, you know, bone broth, getting in probiotic rich foods that, you know, mostly have prebiotics in them like sauerkraut to feed your microbiome. You may need to investigate, figure out what's going on with like, you know, is there something growing in your gut that shouldn't be there? Um, And making sure you're supporting the entire digestive system. So that is seeing your food, smelling your food, chewing your food, like being with your food, not driving in the car and like swallowing your food. And I've totally like no, no judges at all. Like I'm a mom and there have been times where I'm like, I did not chew that. I just swallowed that and then chased a child like that happened. And then sure enough, stomachache, not a good deal. So we've got to heal the gut. We have to support liver detoxification at the structural and genetic level. Your liver takes a hit while you're on birth control. And it's not something I want to clarify because women will say like, oh, the birth control detox, that's because if you don't do a detox, you can't get these synthetic hormones out. That's not what's going on here. Your body, your body runs detox all day, every day, keeps you safe. It's that your liver has really been burdened by hormonal birth control. And like, if you want to avoid your skin getting worse, you want to get your libido back, you want to manage those blood sugar swings, then you're going to go through that detox. But the liver is where we are detoxing everything, but our hormones specifically. And if you want to avoid symptoms of estrogen dominance or issues with testosterone, you've got to take care of that liver. Now, the other piece is we've got to reverse metabolic mayhem. So that has to happen. And, you know, with metabolic mayhem, you know, some people have been like, oh, so you're just talking about like lose weight. No, like, no, we're not talking about losing weight. We're talking about actually lowering inflammation, optimizing your, um, your blood sugar regulation. That's really the crux of hormonal balance. It's part of the secret sauce of balancing your hormones. And you've got to make sure that you're getting your lab testing and understanding like how high a risk are you at developing some of these. If you're on the pill right now, it's something that 
I screen all my patients with the labs that you'll find in Beyond the Pill with regards to like, okay, let's just figure out what your stroke risk is looking like. What is your cardiovascular health? Like what, what is everything, you know, looking like right now? And that way I can give them a more individualized approach to what my recommendations are. Now, the last thing, which is like everybody's favorite part of the book, is knowing your hormone imbalance. So there's a quiz in the book. I will say this because some women have been um, confused about the quiz in the book, and they're like, I checked like every box in every category. Check the symptoms. Because some women reached out to us and they're like, I checked everything, like I have headaches. And I'm like, well, how often do you have headaches? Like a couple of times a year. Okay, that's not your main symptom. So check your main symptom and understand that you can also have simultaneous high and low estrogen, high and low cortisol. And it's because you can have estrogen imbalances throughout the follicular and luteal phase. You can have a reverse cortisol curve where you don't spike cortisol in the morning. Instead, you spike it at night. Now it looks like, okay, you have high cortisol and low cortisol. It's a reverse curve going on. But, you know, I put that quiz in there so you can fast track right into the protocols to know how to balance your hormones. You have to understand your hormone imbalance. If you're on the pill, that will change when you come off the pill. Mm -hmm. So know that if you're on it, prep your body, do the protocol, make the transition off, retake the quiz again, fine tune it. If you're someone who's like, I took the quiz, I just feel confused or, you know, baffled. I mean, we have women who are like, I took the quiz, I know exactly what I'm doing. I got like my supplements, oh, my protocol, like they're posting it all online. And then there's some women who are like, I just feel kind of confused because hormones are confusing. You guys have been doing this for a really long time. And I will tell you, it's why I kind of enjoy them. They are confusing. Um, but with that, it's like, it's really simple. I say in the book, just go ahead and go through the protocol. If you're going to do supplements, do the supplements that are for everyone go through the 30 day protocol and reassess. Like this book is not made to be something that you just do once and walk away from. It's meant to be a user manual that you go back, you check in again. Um, it's something that, you know, women who were going through the birth control hormone reset program, if they're on the pill, they are like, I do this liver detox. I do it every three to four months, which is what we do in my practice as well. And then for women who come off, they're like, I come back like every quarter and reevaluate my hormones, check in again. Do I need to like, do this protocol again, you know, through it, you're testing things and you're figuring out what's true for you. So you can refine over time. If you're not used to doing that, that's going to be a little bit of a dance. It's mm -hmm. going to be a little bit of a dance to figure out and understand that like, you never see anybody just like go and like try to pick up a new dance routine and nail it the first time. So be gentle with yourself and also trust yourself, trust like what your symptoms are saying. So I had somebody say, you know, I talk a lot about eating broccoli, cruciferous vegetables, like cauliflower, kale, getting all of those in. And they're like, okay, I'm trying to eat them, but I'm having like really ga bad gas and bloating. I'm like, well, then that's not working for you. Like try something like broccoli sprouts instead, or get on a combination supplement, like my um, balance that has dim in it. And she's like, no, but I really want this to work. Cause you say this all the time. And I'm like, trust yourself and PS go read the gut chapter because it may be small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And th because you've now introduced these foods, your body's now presenting these symptoms. And like, mm -hmm. I just want to reinforce like there, like, and you may have heard this before, but I say this, like, there's a lot of true information out there, but is it true for you? And that's really what I hope to help you do in beyond the pill is trust yourself, test things and figure out what's true for you. Yeah. And when women are coming off the pill, um, is there a best way to come off? Like, can they just stop or should they do that in a specific way? 
Number one is have a backup method. Okay. So like, even if you want to get pregnant, don't get pregnant yet. Mm -hmm. Have a backup method and have a conversation with your doctor. So chapter 13 takes you through non-hormonal birth control options, really sets you up to have a conversation with your doctor. Like you 100% can choose to stop the pill at any time. Um, getting an IUD out, don't do that yourself. Go see your doctor. Um, but you can stop this at any time. Um, but it is a medication. So understand that like the only person who should advise you on it is your doctor. And if you are put on it for symptom management, that's a good conversation to have with your doctor. Now with that, if you started hormonal birth control for acne, painful periods, you know, anything that you are dreading, prep your body a good three months, like you know, use the protocol that's in the book, like take care of your body for a good three months, then transition off. We found that women, um, and you'll, in the YouTube series of beyond the pill, the women who were like, I've had mild or it seemed like I dodged post birth control syndrome. I ask them, what did you do different? Oh, well, like six months before I like started a paleo diet and I started exercise and started doing this. They started all. And so understand this. If you have a girlfriend who came off, she's like, I came off. I had no problem. Ask her, what was your life like three to six months before you stopped? Most of the time, they were doing a lot of self-care, dietary changes, all of that. And that made that transition so much easier for them. So let that give you hope as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in terms of like women will ask me like, well, should I start cutting the pill in half? Like whenever I see this, like it'll come up when I'm doing like a live video and a woman's like, I started cutting my pill in half to taper off. I'm like, no. I don't know if they're going to be seeing me in the video, but if you did, you just saw me just flailing hands where I'm like, that's what I do. I'm like, because you can get pregnant. Like that won't work anymore. It won't protect you against Mm -hmm. pregnancy. And that's not how this medication works. Like if you were coming off a beta blocker, yes, that's how you would do it. If you were coming off a proton pump inhibitor, yes, that's how we would do it. Like if you were coming off a thyroid medication, we're trying to reduce your dose. Yes, we would start titrating things down. But with this, it's an all or nothing medication. So you're either on it and you're shutting down brain and ovary communication or you're not because otherwise you're putting yourself at risk of pregnancy. And it really doesn't work that way. Like it's not, um, I, you know, there's, there's no evidence to support and I've never had anybody that I've known that's like tapered off. And then, I mean, I've had people come to my practice and be like, I did this taper and it was hell the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, cause like it just wasn't enough. Like your body's like, what are you doing to yeah. me? So, um, yeah. And it is something that I talk about in the book and, and if you know, women go back and listen to this again, but I also talk about all this in the book and something else I say is like most of the time in my practice, uh, women stop when they're done with placebo, when they get to placebo week, that's when they're done. Mm -hmm. And the reason, uh, for that is because you can get a double period again, not a real period, but a double withdrawal bleed where you are, um, you just had your period. Then two weeks later, you, you know, you're back on the pill, you decide to stop it. Now you have another bleed again and nobody likes that. That's just like inconvenient and dreadful. And then that feels like your cycle's even more off kilter. So you can go ahead and like, you know, finish it off unless your doctor's saying, yo, you're at stroke risk or like, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned your potassium levels aren't right. Like we could have a heart attack here. Like if your doctor's saying something like that, always listen to your doctor. Anybody mm-hmm. that you are like actually seeking medical care with that you talk to one-on-one they always default to them the internet and podcast second this is a place to educate and to help you have that conversation yeah to help inspire your questions with your Mm -hmm. medical provider what about um in terms of birth control like someone's like I want to get off the pill but I don't want to get pregnant what do you recommend Yeah. So this is very individualized. I mean, every form of birth control comes with a risk and even fertility awareness method has the risk of you getting pregnant if you mess it up. So we have to have that conversation, um, you know, in my practice. And I do have patients who come to my practice and they're like, 
I just want to try the Marina IUD. Like I want to try it. Like I've everything you said, I feel like this is going to work best for me. And so what we do is we have them, I'm like at least one period more is better if you can chart your symptoms throughout the entire menstrual cycle. I take you through what a menstrual cycle is, what your hormones are doing in Beyond the Pill so that you can understand how to chart that and um, really understand your symptoms so that when you get that IUD placed, you can continue to track your symptoms. And if something changes, you can know if that's working for you or not. I also recommend before women start hormonal birth control that we get baseline lab testing. I also do genetic screening to understand their risk for a cardiovascular event. It's a really quick and easy test to do to make sure that we don't lose another woman to like an adverse side effect. <clears throat> so that's one piece of it. Now in chapter 13 of my book, I go through the pros and cons of different birth, non-hormonal birth control methods. Um, I give you a table if you're someone who's like, I just want to see the pros and cons. Like, let me just get in here and get out. And um, with that, you know, I talk about the copper IUD. It works for some women, not other women. That's another one where we track symptoms. We track labs to understand if it works for her. If you have a history of heavy periods, painful periods, endometriosis, that's not going to be a good thing for you. Like, just don't even bother because it's going to make your life hell. And it's going to be terrible to have that procedure done. Um, if you don't have those issues, having that placed is actually pretty easy and most women like enjoy it. But there are some women who have side effects with it. So you've got to know your body so well that you can advocate for yourself in case that comes up. And I certainly, I tell women, you know, especially with like hormonal based uh, contraceptives, the second you have side effects, you question it, you have symptoms, go to your doctor and start that conversation. Because what happens is your body compensates, you get an IUD, you start having mood symptoms, a year goes by, now you can't handle it anymore, you tell your doctor and they say to you, if it was the IUD, you would have already told me about it by now, but it's a year later, so it's probably something else. So mm -hmm. the sooner you can get in and start that dialogue and get your doctor monitoring you, the better. Now, um, fertility awareness method, as I mentioned, over 99% effective with perfect use. Um, in my clinical experience, women are really invested in getting that right. So the perfect use definitely goes up, but understand that Perfect use also means that that time of the month when you're in the mood, which is uh, when testosterone tends to come up and ovulations around the corner, you can't you have to have protected sex. You're going to be using a barrier method or you're doing something else. You're not having any penetration that would introduce sperm into the vaginal canal or, you know, needing the egg. So um, with that, the other thing I want to just highlight is that with the pill, it's only 91 percent effective with typical use. And um, I as a girl who did the pill for 10 years, you take kind of a backseat. You're like, I'm using the pill every day. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. Um, it wasn't until I was in the emergency room with an ovarian cyst um, after being on birth control for several years, and they wanted to test me for an ectopic pregnancy. That was the first time I learned that it wasn't 99% effective. I was like, why are you testing me? I'm on the pill. And they, like, laughed at me. They're like, that's mm -hmm. not 100%, girl. And I was like, it's 99. They're like, no, it's mm -hmm. not. Um, so I think that's an important thing to know because you don't want to get giggled at in the emergency room. That's not fun when you're in pain. Um, yeah. so I do talk about fertility awareness method in the book. I think if you're going to start that meeting with a fam educator, nothing replaces knowing your own body. And then you can also consider using femtech devices. So natural cycles is approved by the FDA. There's Daisy fertility monitor as well. Um, there is also, you can just take your temperature, put your app in your own phone. And if you want to go old school, grab taking charge of your fertility, which we all should read at one point in our life. And you can do paper charting. I suck at paper charting. I can't like, I'm, I tried, I tried. And I was just like, this is like, 
I I don't know. It feels like geometry, not my jam. Like, yeah. just like line up the things. But like with these femtech devices, like I just take my temperature. You can plug the data in. It tells you right then and there. But again, like I say, don't take a back seat here. You've got to know your fertile cervical mucus. You've got to pay attention. Are you in the mood? What are your breasts looking like? Are they tender? Are your lips more full? Like there's all of these things that like really we should be paying attention to for our overall hormonal health. But I think fertility awareness method, knowing cervical mucus, if you want to learn cervical position as well, it's a little more tricky. Again, fam uh, educators are awesome for that. Um, I think these are things that like I teach every woman like in my practice, uh, you know, everything I can so that they can track their hormones so that I can get their data. That's how I do my job best. But I encourage them as well to meet with a fertility awareness educator. That's not my forte. That's not what I'm trained in. Like go see the person that's all they do all day, mm -hmm. every day. Like that's, that's your person you want. Um, and they get over to these uh, experts and then they're able to provide me even more data as they are coming to see me as a patient. Do you know how people would find someone who's a fam educator? Yeah, so I list a resource in the back of my book, but if you Google like um, uh, fertility awareness method educators, mm -hmm. there's organizations out there that actually certify women in this. And actually, like on Insta, they like all live on Instagram, I think, because Instagram is full of fertility awareness mm -hmm. certified educators. Um, and I'm thinking, like, if you type in cycle, they tend to mm -hmm. have cycle in their Instagram handles. Um, yeah, okay. but. Uh, yeah, there's organizations that have lists of providers as well. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much. You've been a wealth of knowledge. And I really just truly appreciate all the work you've done with this book. I mean, I just really think every woman needs to read it. Um, like required reading, can we get it in schools, you know, because I think that this is a topic that no one is really talking much about. And like we talked about how just medicine is biased against us, unfortunately. Um so thank you so much for sharing all this. Can you just let everybody know where they can get the book and where they can find more resources from you? Yeah, so you can find me at drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. That's my main hub where I put out a lot of uh, resources there. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Jolene Brighton. That's where I like to hang out on social media. And then I have a YouTube channel where I provide information for women because I know we all learn very differently. <laughs> so you can get the book anywhere it's sold. And if you grab it, grab the gratitude gifts at beyondthepillbook.com where you'll get five exclusive interviews with hormone experts. I've got like lab guides for you. I've got more recipes for you, all kinds of stuff to really help support you. Amazing. Thank you so much again for coming on. It was amazing talking to you. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me and supporting this change in women's medicine if your hands are not in the air after that podcast i do not know what to tell you i hope that you loved that episode as much as i do dr jolene brighton is a powerhouse and i love her and i cannot recommend her book enough please go follow her on social media at dr jolene brighton and go to drbrighton.com and check out her website she has so many incredible resources in general and it's really a hub of information for women so please share this episode with anyone you think would benefit from hearing it which is in my eyes every woman and men because men need to understand what's going on as well and don't forget there is that giveaway going on until march 7th next thursday all you have to do is share this episode on social media on your Instagram stories or Instagram feed and you'll automatically be entered and make sure you tag me. And whoever wins is going to get their own copy of Beyond the Pill. 
Make sure you let Dr. Brighton know what you thought about this episode. If it affected you in any way, let her know that you appreciated her dropping so much knowledge because I certainly did. That's going to be it for this episode. I hope you guys have an incredible day and I will chat with you next time. Bye.